0: Remember who you serve. <clears throat> Excuse me. This revelation John was to write to the church, just to remember, was to help the church trim the wick. John had this revelation, this vision of seven lampstands in Revelation chapter one. In the middle of the seven lampstands, he had he saw Jesus. And Jesus, basically through Revelation chapter 1, we saw that Jesus was making sure that each lampstand was burning as bright as it could. And in order for them to burn as bright as they could, Jesus had to point some things out. And it was likened to trimming the wick. Sometimes you got to trim the wick or make sure the oil is getting to the lampstands so that the light on the lampstand was burning very bright. The churches need to burn bright. We talked about how in Matthew it says we are the light of the world. Not we're becoming light, but that we are light. And if we are light, we exist in one of two ways. We're either hidden under a basket, as it says, or we're burning bright on top of the lampstand. And the church, I believe, especially in America, has taken one of those two places. We're either on a lampstand burning bright, shining for all to see, or we're under baskets. And a lot of churches today are under baskets. And I think one thing that I love about what's going on right now in the political platform of this nation is you're finding out what churches are shining and what churches are putting themselves under baskets. There's a true revealing of of the ones who are really stepping into who they are in the name of Jesus. Jesus. There's a true revealing of, of those that are saying we are here to walk boldly in our faith and those who are saying we're light, but we're going to kind of get under the basket a little bit because this is a little too much for us. And I'm not saying that to necessarily condemn them, but there's got to be some people that rise up and shine enough to maybe help pull them up out of their baskets because they may not even know that, or realize that that's what they're doing. Last week, John wrote a letter to the church of Ephesus. Ephesus got all the systems right. They got all the outside stuff good. They did the outreach right. They, were making, they found the false apostles and the false teachers, and they were making sure they were standing on truth. But they lost one thing. They lost first love. Jesus said, y'all got everything right, but y'all lost first love with me. And y'all lost first love with yourselves. Y'all don't have community anymore. Y'all don't have family. Y'all don't love me. Y'all fell in love with your systems. I don't know if you've ever been to part of a church like that. Relentless used to be one of those churches. We tried to get all the, 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 the service right. We tried to get the outside right. We tried to get how we looked right. But there was no community There was no love. We had to get that right, and that's why I believe we're starting to grow at an exponential rate. Maybe not in the numbers, even though we are, but in the depth of the community, in the depth of where we're going. And after he addresses that, Jesus says it's time to address another church. So in Revelation chapter 2, check out verse 8. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Smyrna. Everyone say Smyrna. That'd be a horrible name for a child. Smyrna. Anybody got a child named Smyrna? Good. (laughs) This is the message from the one who was the first and the last, who was dead but is now alive. All these letters share a similar structure. There's an address to a particular church, And then there's an introduction of who the message is from. This one's to Smyrna, and he says this is from Jesus. And we see that Jesus gives an instruction to a man, John, to write the letter to an angel, or the word translated to a messenger to the church where the letter is to be addressed, which shows you very clearly the position and how the authority of God, angel, and man works. Make no mistake, it is not angel over man. It is man called to send angels. That's a whole other message. Okay. You all me to do a, message, a series on angels one day? Okay. He says, John, I got a letter for you to get to the angel to send to the church. So this letter is addressed to the church in Smyrna. Smyrna was a very large, beautiful city. It was a center of learning and culture. It was, it was actually known as the glory of Asia. Smyrna was a rich city. It, it was actually a great place of trade because where it was positioned, it was, where it, it, it was at the, the, the base of the, of the River Hermas. So all the trade coming into Asia had to go through Smyrna. So that means they could tax whatever they wanted. They could have all these fees. So they, they, they took care of themselves. They were a very, very rich city. Smyrna was also um, deeply committed to idolatry and deeply committed to the worship of the Roman emperor. There was actually a famous street in Smyrna called the Golden Street. And with this being a Roman territory, they were very obsessed with the Roman gods. So on this golden street, they had all these temples. They had temples to the god Apollo. They had a temple to the goddess Aphrodite. They had temples to the god uh, Zeus. They had all these temples to all these ancient Roman gods. But the period we are right now is around AD 86, year 90. And back in the ancient days of Rome, they were worshipping Zeus and Apollo and Aphrodite. But the worship of those gods has started to die out. And they weren't so much worshiping the gods anymore so much as having monuments to the gods. And they were starting to shift their worship from the gods of old to the Roman emperor, to the person in the political platform. They started to worship the man in power. The people started to give their allegiance to political and civic agendas. And I think one thing the church needs to get right is we need to influence our culture, influence politics, influence civic things, but we are never to get wrapped up so much in it that we forget that we are above the warfare and not in the warfare. Because people are starting to worship who's in the seat versus who is the one who holds the stars, and he has never lost. We're not too far off with how Smyrna was going. They've forgotten their gods and started to worship their political leader. And although I agree that Biden and Harris maybe should not be in office right now, let's put that aside for a second. You've got the people of God who worship God divided over what political seat you worship. And there is truth to the issue because you do have believers aligning with the wrong thing. And we're going to get to that. We're not going to back down from that. I'm not going to become one of those houses that just say, well, you just got to accept everything in love. No, Jesus says, I did not come. I, I did not I, I did not come to bring peace. I became to the Bible with a sword. That's my word. I'm not backing down on that. Do not hear me wrong on that. But to let that issue to let that issue become the thing that you exalt. That's what's going on with the church of Smyrna. You've got people that have shifted their worship, even in their false gods, they're shifting to this political platform. In fact, out of this time in 8196 AD, this is when the term Lord started coming up for, for political positions. That wasn't something that, you know, came up in ancient Or England or London they started using the term Lord for the Roman emperors you had to call the government officials lords lords over the manor lords over the house it got so bad that once a year Roman citizens had to burn a pinch of incense to the altar of Caesar and then when they did it they got a certificate saying hey you got to guarantee that you did your religious duty. And all of us just went, "Mm, oh my gosh. But that's exactly what happens in the Catholic church still. You come and light your prayer candles, confess your sins to a man, get your rosary beads, do your thing and walk out and go sin much more just to come back next week and do it all over again. Where do you think that idea came from? Why is it called the Roman? (laughs) Y'all getting this? Christians of that day had two choices. They could conform to make the government happy and keep their beliefs in their back pocket by saying, all right, we'll do whatever you want us to do. Or they could not give any man the name of the Lord except Jesus. And we're at a time in our nation where it's, it's, it's getting to the place where we can argue about what's going on or we can prepare to take the stand we need. Because it's going to get to a time Where the who you are aligned with is going to become known by the choices you make. And yes, that is how you vote. That is what you support. You know, Christians always talk about what you tithe to, but let's talk about what you give your money to in other places. What you give your allegiance to. This is what they're going through in Smyrna. We're getting to a place in this country right now jobs are being lost. And right now everyone's on Facebook and I don't know what the 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 Wawa and the hee haw I don't know the names of those other social whatevers. I don't know. <laughs> everyone's trying to make their voice known about I don't agree with this and I don't I don't do this. Make your voice known by your lifestyle of worship to the Almighty, not the voice of of well, I'm so great because I, y'all picked this guy. and I pick, No, no, no. Shine a light into the ignorance that chose that. That's okay. What is ignorance? It's not stupidity. They did not know. I'm going to get into that in a minute. In addressing Smyrna, he reminds them. Y'all okay? I am the first and the last. I was dead and now I'm what? Alive. You know what the name Smyrna, it comes from the word myrrh. Y'all heard that before? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Myrrh was a perfume used in embalming dead bodies. The city was named, myrrh. The city was named after a substance that meant sustain the dead. Their natural was to sustain dead things. That's why even though they were shifting focus to worshiping a political office, they didn't tear down the temples of Apollo and Zeus and Aphrodite because their natural was let's sustain what's dead. Why are we surprised when people in darkness make decisions that look like darkness that is their natural they don't know what you have been reborn into in a supernatural state and Christians mock their natural instead of shining light To show them there is a supernatural. Why are you surprised that people line up with an abortion agenda? I just can't believe that you would do. That is their natural. And you used to be in that natural. And if they are in darkness, they have no idea that that's not normal. So stop mocking it. And shine light into it. They do not know. It's like a dog and a cat. You don't expect a cat to bark. That would be freaky. Because the cat in its natural state does what? That was pitiful. The because it, that's its natural. The natural state of man is to sin. So people who don't know God, when they do things not of God, what the heck do you expect? It's their natural. I just can't believe that they would have those policies. It's their natural. That's why we posted on Facebook this week our response to this election. Because if God can have a meeting with a mass murder of Christians and then use that man to write half the Bible named the Apostle Paul, I believe that I can wake up one day to hear Kamala Harris get up before the nation and say, I need to change some policies because last night I had an encounter. I believe that. It may not happen, but I sure as heck will pray into it. While I pray, God, whatever your answer is to this, make it happen. Not just one way. Y'all hearing what I'm saying? Don't get surprised by their natural. Can I go one step further? And this may offend people in here, but I don't care. Because I'm standing on truth, and if you know me, don't get offended what I'm about to say. Get to know me. Ask questions afterwards. Many people I don't, I don't want this to become a voting thing, so but I, I need to touch on this. Many people vote for things. Because of the oppression that they have known with their ancestors for years. Personally, I think it will be great. I think it is great to see African Americans in political offices. Can we agree with that? I think it would be great to see Asians in political offices, whatever the nationality is, any color. But here's the issue. We sacrifice waiting for the right one because we make decisions out of oppression versus God, where is the one you want? And that's where the issue lies. That's why you have a false reverend like Mike Warnock getting pastors in Savannah to align with him because it wasn't about the right one. It was about, we want, we, the oppression has hurt, and we're making a decision out of that. And what Christians do, and I've been guilty of it, why would you vote for him? It was a vote out of natural. Do you see what we're exposing right now? The same way Caucasians and white people tend to vote for our natural. Let's go both ways with it. We've got to stop operating out of our culture and tribe and align with a kingdom culture that, that, that does not give favoritism based off of a past or a natural a kingdom culture that says, I see who you are and what you stand for and what you align with. That's what we have to start seeing through the eyes of. And that's what he's addressing. Jesus says, I'm the first and the last. I was dead, now I'm alive. You're in a city that sustains the dead. Don't be surprised But they're building monuments to dead things. That's who they are. But what I I want to remind you of, church at Smyrna, is you are called to shift them from sustaining the dead to coming alive. And it's going to take patience, and it's going to take a long time, but I want you to remember who you serve. You don't serve a sustainer of the dead. You serve someone that loved you enough, that died for you, rose for you, and if I can do that and I can do that to to, to take all the time I need to sustain you and raise you and redeem you, you can take the same amount of patience and do it for them. You remember you serve me, not yourself, not your motives, and not your agenda. You serve me. And if it takes another 15 years or 50 years, you remember, you don't serve what you want to see. You serve what I want to do. And if, I, and if things went backwards in your eyes, I can make all things work together for the good of those who seek me. You all right? I'm glad I ain't going to have no voice after this. You do not serve a stronghold of death. You serve a Lord who conquered death. And if death can't hold Jesus, death can't hold people. We do not serve the Lord called politics. We serve a Lord that politics cannot hold. John 16, 33. I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. Spoiler alert. You're going to have trials, and you're going to have sorrows. If you, if you have ever sat under a preacher that says, once you get saved, everything's going to be good, don't listen to them ever again. They're stupid. They're ignorant. They're ignorant. Lord, forgive me. Lord, I apologize. Here, here on earth, you will have, you will. You will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, I've overcome the world. The trials we go through cannot and will not hold us because we don't serve the trials. We serve the Lord who has overcome the trials. So the key to getting through your trials is to realize you don't serve the trial you're going through. You serve the one who has overcome the trial and when you recognize that you serve the one who has overcome the trial, then you start listening to the voice of the one who has overcome the thing you've gone through. So you start, you start to get your eyes focused not on what you see, but focused on the one who has overcome the thing that you can see. That's what faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. Y'all see how this works together? Okay. We got a lot our thoughts, our minds, and our responses as overcomers. Whew. Verse 9. I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you're rich. I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say they're Jews, but they're not because their synagogue belongs to Satan. So Jesus starts off. He says, I know all about how you suffered and about your poverty. See, Smyrna was a rich city. But the Christians in Smyrna, they were poor. Want to know why they were poor? Say why. That wasn't convincing enough. There you go. Because they were robbed and fired from their jobs if they professed belief in Jesus. We ain't too far from it. They were robbed and fired as a result of religious persecution. In other words, if you call Jesus Lord and not the political man Lord, that took your money and they took your jobs. He says, I know about your poverty and your suffering because you took a stand for me. I see it. And he says, and because of your poverty and suffering, because you took a stand, you're rich. Look at what 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 9 says about that. Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. Godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into this world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation they are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. The fact that you are poor, <coughs> he says, because they took from you when they saw your godliness is in of itself great wealth. You know, 2 Corinthians 12.10 says, Be content with weakness and hardships because when we are weak, he is strong. But I want to make sure we understand something. It doesn't say when you're content, you're wealthy because of your laziness and poor management. That's not what the scripture says. Because we read it and we go, oh, I'm poor, so if I'm content and my lack, then I'm, I'm good to go. No, no, no. It doesn't say because you're lazy, you won't work, and you manage your money like, like, it, like, like you don't have any common sense. No, he says when you're content in your poverty because of your godliness. When it was taken from you because of the stance, It's preparing us for the day when, we, when the things that we have are taken away from us because of our stance in our godliness. Remember what revelation is? The revealing of Jesus so that when this day comes, you're ready. And I don't know if this has been a wake-up call, but things are getting real. And my job is not to get you shaved every week. It's to prepare you. You need to be ready to take a stand when they say, if you say that you worship Jesus, I'm going to take your home, I'm going to take your car, and I'm going to take your job. And that seems really easy until it's in your face. And there's a lot of believers right now who will say they have the mindset of, well, I'll just tell them no, but I'll worship him when I get behind closed doors. You said everything when you took that stand, despite what you do behind closed doors. That's called an empty relationship. Maybe that's why Jesus taught early on about, are you willing to leave your mother and your father and your brothers and sisters and you willing to leave everything? You willing to leave your jobs? You, willing to, are you willing to leave everything? Peter, drop your stuff, drop your nets, walk with me. See, Jesus was preparing us long before Revelation was ever written. It's kind of like the call to ministry. I remember when like when I took my call into ministry. I was making so much money when I first started, $14,000 a year, cutting grass all day, and I had to, lo- like, give up a scholarship to med school that lasted 14 years. Yeah, that was great. I had so much support from my family. What are you willing to give up for me? What relationships are you willing to lose for me? Jesus says, I I see your contentment in your stand. And people love to go after the wealth they see. But you can fall so easily into a trap. Jesus says, I see contentment in your stand. But when you seek out a platform, it shows your lack of contentment. When you need recognition, it reveals your lack of contentment. You see that as a lot as a leader in a house of God. I do all this stuff and I never get a thank you. Yeah, you you content. Not that I'm saying anyone in this house has ever done that. You're all, you're all perfect. I'll serve if I can do this. Now I see your contentment. Where's your content, where does your contentment lie? I remember when I first started ministry, I was told I was never going to be able to preach because I sucked at it. And, and I, they, they never let me do it. And you know what I did the entire time? I felt like I was going to one day, so I wrote sermons. Because I wasn't seeking a platform. I was content. And I got mad at times. Don't don't get me wrong. I I blessed them. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? I I, I have my issues. We all do. He says in verse 9, I know the blasphemy of those who oppose you. He says they say they are Jews, but they're not. They're synagogue belong to, to Satan. See, back in Smyrna, there was a large, hostile community of Jews. He said back then he says a true Jew in this reference was those who feared the Lord. He says, these guys, no, they've they themselves over to idol worship. He says, these people at the Church of Smyrna, he says, I see all you're going through. People are taking stuff from you. People are saying they believe in God, but they don't. There's all there's all this like faults, everything. I see what you're going through. He says, I see it all. And I think we all need to be reminded of that, especially in this time. He sees it all. You think he's surprised? He sees it all. Hebrews 4.13 says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. He is the one to whom we are accountable. He is the one to whom we are accountable. He sees everything. And we need to understand this because none of this stuff should frighten you. And a lot of times, God gives you a word to do something, and our first response is, uh-uh, God, I don't know if you've seen what's going on lately, but I ain't doing that right now. That's why we have a scripture. Nothing's hidden from me. So if he tells you to do something, it should reassure you. If he's told you to do it, it's because He sees what's going on and he needs your yes in the midst of what he sees. There's a reason you were born to be alive in your age at this time in 2021 and not 1743 or AD 86 he needs you right now. And if he says go, be reassured. He knows exactly what's going on. Your response should not be, but Jesus, did you see who got elected? But Jesus, do you know what they're threatening? Do you really think he's that minimal? It's like, I, I see it. That's why I told you. I need you. You're going to do greater things than I did. That's why I left. All I need is your yes. Verse 10, Revelation 2. He says, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days. But if you remain faithful even when facing death, I'll give you the crown of life. That Excuse me. That phrase don't be for afraid is literally translated stop being afraid. The believers in Smyrna, they were under intense persecution and they were afraid. They didn't want to go do anything. They were they were probably getting to the point of hiding under the basket. They probably didn't want to do anything else because Can you imagine standing for Jesus and then getting everything taken away? And Jesus reminded them, he says, stop being afraid. Jesus saw, he says, I know you're under persecution and I know that you need to be ready to stand because you're about to be thrown into prison. Stop being afraid. Isaiah 35.4, say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He is coming to save you. No matter what's going to take course in this nation, God is saying this to us. Stop being afraid. I don't know what's going to happen. the, 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 The leaders don't believe in God. Stop being afraid. Romans 8.15, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children, and now we call him Abba Father. Remember who you are in him and who has your back. Remember who you serve. Remember, you need to be be prepared for what's to come. Fear can make you take a knee and take a bow to anything as a result of your need for self-preservation. And God says, I don't need you to preserve yourself. I've got you. And it is so easy to self-protect and take a knee and bow down to anything but God because you're afraid. And that's why so many believers in our country are willing to bow down to anything to self protect because they've forgotten the still small voice and the large voice that's saying, I've never left you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I see everything. Stop being afraid and remember who you serve. I have overcome the world, and you in me, you are overcomers. Stop being afraid. You've got this. He says, some of you are going to prison and it's going to test you and you're going to suffer for 10 days and we don't know that's a literal 10 days or a period of time or we don't know what that is but this is the point. There will be a testing and we think God wants to deliver us from every sort of persecution not realize that some persecution is a great filter to show who really believes and those who aren't really that dedicated for a great battle to come. Separating of the wheat and the tares, a filtering. I'm not talking about even necessarily those who believe and who don't, but who are dedicated in their belief and who aren't. Because there's coming a day where God don't need weak soldiers on the front line. And unfortunately, there's a lot of houses who don't know how to to equip their warriors. Don't be afraid. Hmm. 1 Peter 1, 6-7 says this. Remember, He says, if you don't be afraid, he says, I'm going to give you a crown. Look at this. Be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than your gold, When your faith remains strong through many trials... It will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. That is why we are to keep our eyes on things above and not on things of this world. Because when your eyes are fixed here, we'll compromise to avoid suffering. So we have to remember who we serve. And remember, in verse uh, in 210, Revelation 2.10, he says, If you remain faithful, I'll give you a crown of life. That word crown, that's the same word not only used for kings wearing crowns, but it's the same word for trophies given to athletes, Um, crowns worn at marriages, brides wore crowns. The church is called the bride of Christ back in the day. I want to put a crown on my bride. Well. Will you stand with me no matter what the trial comes? See, what's interesting about crowns, because in Revelation, he says, I'm going to give you a crown. You know why he tells the church, I'm going to give you a crown? Because in Smyrna, every building had a crown at the top of it. All the pagan gods wore crowns. Good citizens even wore crowns. So in the letter addressing to these people living in a city, Where you got exalted with a crown, Jesus says, You may not get any of their crowns. You may not get any of their rewards. You may not get any pat on the back from anything in this world, but I promise you, if you'll stand for me, I've got a crown for you. He says, Don't settle for those crowns. You remember who you serve. Hebrews 10.34, you suffered along with those who were thrown in the jail and when you all own was taken away from you, you accepted with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. Taking joy in all things reveals where you are focused and what crown you're focused on. Better things await for you. Don't settle for the things you get here. You know, some people are more Obsessed with their 401k plans. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing to look at. What's going to happen when the government says, bow to this or lose that? It's coming. Maybe not in this lifetime, maybe it will, but it's coming. We've got to be ready to take a stand no matter what. And it's all about remembering who you serve. Last verse, and we'll close. Revelation 2.11. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. In other words, this ain't just for the church at Smyrna. This is for anyone that ever hears this message. Whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. Second death, he's talking about the lake of fire. The final one, many things will threaten you. Many things will attack you. Many things will come against you. Whether it's in your job, your family, the government, all kinds of stuff is going to come against you. But remember who you serve. Jesus promises you that the things that threaten you, you have overcome them because he has overcome them. We can say so much about what's going on in this country, but I think it's important to remember who we serve. Remember who we represent. Do you wrap your identity up in the things of this world, or is a kingdom citizen of heaven sent here with a word, sent here with a message? In all things, whatever happens in the rest of this week, you remember one thing. I serve the one who has overcome everything. And I'm going to shine brightly in all I do. Amen.